That was adorable. Thank you for playing that. A little glimpse of the New Hope Beginnings preschool and what happens here during the week is neat to see. And I want to echo Katie, go support the the school there this morning and pick up a pie or some goodies that you can enjoy or even share for tonight at Pie and Praise. Well, good morning, New Hope. I'm Ryan, the lead pastor. Also welcome you watching online. And as we say, um, a lot of Sundays, we are one church, but on Sunday morning, we worship in multiple locations. Uh, Not only here, obviously, on our campus, but people watching online throughout Dallas County and even beyond. And so welcome. Glad that you're here. And though we worship in different settings, we are unified by a common mission. And our mission here at New Hope Church, as we say often, is helping people find and follow Jesus. This is what we're about. This is who we are and, and where we're going as a, as a church. And that happens both locally and it happens in different ministries that take place here at New Hope in this building, on this campus, and in the community. And one of which is the kids' ministry. And, and it is growing. Jess was not exaggerating. Uh, we just continue to think, well, it's peaked. There's a lot of kids back there. And then more start keep showing up. And we're so thankful uh, for that. And, and let me just echo, I personally, I serve at Amplify. Uh, I'm one of the third grade teachers. Uh, in that ministry, and I absolutely love it. It is so fun. Highlight of my week, and, and, and anyway, it's a special thing, and so I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, this is a great place to, to make friends and to make a difference in the lives of kids, and so you can use that connection card and check that box there for that if you have any interest in learning more about that ministry. But not only is the impact locally, but it's also globally, and one expression of that is what you see here on the stage. almost didn't get up here because of the wall here that's just kind of formed here. This is remarkable. Dallas County uh, headquarters for Operation Christmas Child is here at New Hope Church. And we've had the privilege of being able to receive these boxes. What you'll see on my left here is from the community. And I know online, those of you watching, you can't really get a good glimpse of that. But there are a lot of boxes over there. This represents New Hope Church and what you as a church family have brought in. These are nearly 500 boxes, shoe boxes. And, and that's remarkable. So well done, church, for that. And... And this is, this is so much more than just toys that is going to make a, a, put a smile on a face of a child this Christmas, but it's more than that because inside every single box, they're going to receive one of these, which explains the gospel of Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with him. And once they do that, they go through it with the kids together, then they get another book that takes them deeper into study they can do long after Christmas, and it includes in their language as well a New Testament. All of these are built into every single box that every single child will get. And so this isn't just making an immediate impact or difference. This is about an eternal difference. And you were a part of that, and so thank you. And while I'm saying thank you, though they were, probably wouldn't want me to say this, and I don't even think they're in the room here, but I want to say a thank you to Scott and Ann Crannell and their leadership over this every year and how they pull all this together and keep us all organized and, and moving forward on this. What I'd like to do before we jump in the message this morning is just take a moment as a, as a church family and to pray. And to pray for these children that are going to receive these boxes, these hundreds of boxes up here, and the difference that that's going to make in their lives. Would you join me, please, as we pray? Father, this is a privilege to be a part of. And Lord, as we already articulate our mission to help people find and follow Jesus, in this case, we're praying for these children. And these boxes are going to go to nations that we don't even know here this morning, spread around the world that's going to bring a smile to a young boy or a young girl. And we pray, Father, that it would bless this Christmas for them and their family. We pray, too, that there would be many, dozens, if not hundreds of kids that say yes to you and begin a relationship with you. They experience grace and forgiveness. And they learn what it means to to walk with you all the days of their lives. And so, Father, we pray for an eternal impact. We pray that your kingdom would advance in these nations where these boxes are going and the difference these boxes are going to make. 
Father, we thank you for how you are at work, and we give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for praying. All right, if you would, please grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If that's an unfamiliar book, you can use your table of contents and, and go there. Also, you'll need your bulletin as well as uh, we do have an online bulletin at uversion.com that you can utilize. It. Everything in the bulletin that you have paper-wise is also digitally available to you as well. As you're turning there, just a few things to, to mention. Uh, one is that uh, an update on the Expanding Hope Building campaign, if you remember, is Three weeks ago, we voted near unanimous to uh, expand the campus, and so that's exciting, and you kind of may be wondering, well, what's been happening? Well, what's been happening is all the fine details of getting the contract details finalized, and the, the last version of the blueprints tightened up, and we've been applying for uh, the financing process and going through that, and so everything's on track and moving forward, and so thank you for your prayers, and we're just going to continue to keep you posted every step in the way as the, as the, um, the little details get finalized, we sign, and then you're going to begin to see some action taking place place here on the south side of the campus, and that'll be a lot of fun to see dirt getting moved and things beginning to happen uh, with that. Let me also mention, too, that if you brought a gift for God today, that we do have um, an offering box there on the back table. There's also some digital ways that you can give. There can be convenient for you, and if you have a connection card, which I'll be referring to later in the message, that can also go into the offering box uh, as well that's in the lobby there for you. All right, just some review here for Living Ready and where we're at. In fact, we're almost done here with the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in the last chapter now uh, this morning. But remember, this is a book that's all about helping you and I to live ready, to help us to learn how to both believe and behave, believe today and behave today as if Jesus were coming back tomorrow. And the setting for this book is one where Paul and his missionary team, they journeyed to this capital city of Thessalonica. This is a city, about 250,000 people in population at that time. It was a capital city. It was a busy city. And there they showed up and they began to meet people and went into the synagogue and shared the gospel and went into the streets and shared the gospel just anywhere they could and talk about Jesus. And people began to say yes to him and to receive him as Lord and Savior. And a church begins to form there in Thessalonica. And that's exciting news. And Paul began to train them and meet with them and encourage them, all the things that would be exciting to share about. But unfortunately, immediately too, persecution struck this church, and they began to go through a hard time right away. And so knowing that Paul was a part of that process, Paul removed himself from the city. He left this young church all alone, and yet he prayed for them, and he worried about them, and he, he had anxiety about how is this church going to make it in light of all the persecution, all the hard things they're going through, and these are brand new Christians, and so eventually he sends his friend and co-worker Timothy back to the city to get a report. Timothy comes back to Paul and shares with them, this church is thriving. This church is doing an amazing job. They're not just kind of making their way through, but they're healthy and they're growing. But Paul, they have questions. And so Timothy relays both the encouragement but also the questions to Paul. And so Paul sits down and he pens this letter back to this church in Thessalonica. And his goal is to encourage this young church, but also to answer their questions. And as I mentioned last week, one of the questions that they had, a question that maybe many of you has, uh, have today, is about the rapture. And that's where we began last week. Last Sunday, we took on the question, what is the rapture? A question that they had, and, and, and Paul interacted with that. And if you've missed that message, you can go back online, the church website or Facebook or either place, and you can check out that message. But we had a big idea, and the last week's big idea was the rapture is, as a definition, it's the snatching away, that's what the word means, of the church at the second coming of Christ. 
And so we, we laid that foundation. And so this idea that the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are li- still living at the time of this event will be also be caught up to be with the Lord forever. Now, maybe when you went through this message, it was encouraging to you, or because that's really the purpose behind it, is to encourage the church. But maybe you left last week with questions. Maybe you were personally like, yeah, but how does this and that, and I've always wondered about this or that. I, I want to give you an opportunity. On your connection card, on the back side, it says pray for you. And this is an important thing we do every week. We want to pray for you. But you also notice we added something this week. It says, or I have a question. And if you have a question, either from last week's message or about something I'm about to say here in a few minutes in this morning's message, I want to encourage you to write the question on here, and I will personally email you, every single person this week, and answer your question to help you through this process as we learn together about this important topic of the rapture. So I don't want you sort of left scrambling and wondering and can't push the pieces together. Now remember, all of this is just sort of a warm-up, because in January, when we come back after Christmas, we're going to be walking verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And so some of these questions, maybe you're like, well, I can wait till January, and we'll work those out then. That's okay. But use the connection card, because we want to support you through this whole time as we learn this important topic. So last Sunday was, what is the rapture? Today, we're taking on a second part two question to this topic, and that is, when will it happen? When will it happen? This morning, that is our focus. See, the early church wondered the same question. They wanted to know when it would happen. In fact, they had a, uh, it was interesting, they had a greeting back then. This was such an important topic for them that they would, uh, they created this greeting where when they would meet somebody, say on a Sunday morning gathering or in a small group, they would greet each other with the expression Maranatha. You ever heard that word before? And Maranatha, what that means is the Lord is coming. That's what that expression means. And so they would meet somebody and they're greeting. We'd say, hey, how you doing? Not a question, just a greeting. And, and so they would say Maranatha and they would shake hands. Somebody's going through a hard time, Maranatha. And they remind them, hang in there. Jesus is coming back. Things may be hard today, but it won't always be like this. Maranatha, he's coming back. And obviously the question is, well, when will this happen? When is this going to ha- take place? My goal for us this morning is to equip us all on what does the Bible say about when the rapture will take place so that you have rock-solid clarity on this question and then again to prepare us for January as we walk through the book of Revelation. So hopefully you're there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. You can also just follow along behind me on the screen. Paul writes this. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, in other words, when, this is for the rapture, we do not need to write you. In other words, that's an expression that means there's really nothing more to say about this topic. He says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord or the return of Jesus will come like a thief in the night. So here's our answer to our question. When is Jesus coming back? The answer is nobody knows. So if you came here today hoping to hear like a date, like October 10th or whatnot, I'm sorry to disappoint. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And this figure of speech, of course, is given here. It's, like it's going to be like a thief in the night. And obviously, thieves don't text you. Hey, just so you know, next Friday, about midnight, I'll be there. Like, they don't do that, right? It's a surprise. It's a, it, they show up unexpected, and that's what this is like. Now, Jesus said the exact same thing that Paul borrows from. Look at these verses. You don't have to turn there, but just look at these on the screen here. This is from Matthew chapter 24. It says, therefore, keep watch. Jesus Jesus talking. Keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. It would not have let his house be broken into. 
so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Another one, Mark chapter 13. But about the day and hour, again, of his return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So you can't get any clearer, can you? Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. And if anybody you meet says, or hear in the news, or whatever the case may be, it says that they know when Jesus is coming back, they don't know what they're talking about. That's the bottom line. Nobody knows. But sadly, church history is packed with embarrassing examples of people who almost just couldn't resist themselves, and they had to pick a date, and they had to pick a time. Just a few examples. The year 1000 A.D., that was a pivotal year. I mean, you go to four digits. I get it. That's kind of a big deal. New Year's Eve, 90, 999 AD, was on a Sunday. Europe freaked out. They were sure Jesus was coming back at midnight in the year 1000. Churches were packed and like, came with suitcases. Like, they're ready to go. Like, this is it. Jesus is returning that night. They let the prisoners go free. I mean, it was all of Europe was absolutely certain that Jesus was coming back the year 1000. Didn't happen. Or how about a little more contemporary, 1988, Edgar Wisen, how the, how are you say his name, Wisenat, this, he was a NASA engineer, but he wrote a book and predicted that Jesus was coming back in September of 1988. Some of you might remember this book that came out, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988, sold almost 5 million copies, didn't happen, didn't happen. Uh, there's been a number of religions that have begun by date setters. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witness, those religious movements came out of date setting. And so we have these multiple examples, and, and there's even more contemporary ones than that, where we almost can't resist setting a date. But I want to encourage us all this morning, rather than giving attention to worrying and wondering and date setting, we need to give our attention elsewhere. In fact, here's your first fill in the blank this morning on the backside. My encouragement for all of us this morning that we would live ready. How? By focusing on service and not speculation. Focusing on service and not speculation. Speculation is a waste of time. And honestly, it makes the church look dumb. We need to live ready by focusing on service. So here's another way of saying the same thing. Next fill in the blank is this. I want to encourage us to, to live like Jesus is returning soon, but to love like he's returning later. You say, well, what does that mean? We'll live every day, today, this day, like Jesus could come back today. Live prepared, live on the sort of symbolically on the balls of your feet, ready for his return. Jesus comes soon. He is coming, and, and we anticipate that, and we live in that way, and yet love people and do ministry like he's returning later. Like there's time to invest, and there's time to serve, and there's time to share, and there's time to plant and water and cultivate. Do all of those things. Live like he's returning soon, but love like he's returning later. Paul continues, let's keep going in 1 Thessalonians 5 as he takes on this topic. Verse 3 says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not, and this is by the way emphatic in the Greek, they will not escape. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, Paul's saying here, like, you church, us included this morning, you have insider information. 
Stock market, that's bad. For us, the church, this is good. You have insider information of what's happening. You're prepared. You know what's going to come. So live in light of that. He finishes, he says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. There it is. It's so clear. Jesus is coming back. Live ready. We don't know when, but he's coming. And the thing about a church, a gathering of Christians, is though we, we hold tightly to the reality that he's coming back, we don't all agree about how this works out. We don't all agree about the timing in terms of when is this going to take place. In fact, when it comes to the rapture, this is one of the most fiercely debated topics in really all the Bible. And I want to take a moment sort of on this point to just highlight something here at New Hope Church. See, we at New Hope Church, we have different mm, types of beliefs, if you will. Some beliefs, we call them closed-fisted. And these are beliefs that are convictions that we as a church stand on and we will die for. They will never change. It's in the DNA of who they are, and they come out of Scripture. And these are things that, that again, they're closed-fisted. They're non-negotiables. So, for example, the return of Jesus, that's a non-negotiable. The Bible is clear he's coming back. That the rapture is a real historical event, non-negotiable. We hold tight to that. But there are other beliefs that we would describe and say they are open-handed. Open hand. The idea of this is that, that though we have beliefs, we as a church family may hold differing beliefs on that given topic, and yet it doesn't impact that we can be in unity, that we can, we can gather together, that we can be one church on one mission, loving each other as we serve together to make a difference and to see his kingdom advance. Some are tight-fisted or closed-fisted. Some are open-handed. And I want to encourage us and suggest this morning that when it comes to the timing of the rapture, that is an open-handed topic. That people, even just in this room on campus or watching online, we hold differing views on this. Specifically, there are three primary views that people hold about when Jesus is coming back or when the rapture will take place. What I want to do now is I want to share with you briefly these three views. And I don't mean this to sound like a classroom or academic. In fact, I'm going to keep it very short and very brief. But hopefully this gives us all an idea of the differing ways people and theologians over the centuries have identified how this could work. And so I'm going to lay these out for you here quickly. But before I do, and before I share these views, I need us to understand something called the tribulation. The tribulation. This is something that we're going to take on in deep detail in January when we go through the book of Revelation. But I want to give us a definition because the tribulation is a key player on this topic. Here's our definition for it. The tribulation is a seven-year time of judgment and destruction on the earth. This is what it is. This is a strategic time in God's plan. It's not purposeless. It is a time of, of judgment. It is a time of destruction, specifically at a time of judgment on the nation of Israel. There is a significant purpose for this time. But everything in the end times, as we think and talk about the return of Jesus, sort of pivots around these seven years. And so in light of sort of that just brief introduction here, let me share with you these three views that lay out how we can think about this timing of the rapture that we have with an open hand perspective. Here's one, the first one. It's called the pre-tribulation view. And it's a fill in the blank there for you for your bulletin. Try to do a visual to help you out. You'll see the box there in the center is the tribulation. It's a seven-year time. It's, it's divided up in half. There's the tribulation and the great tribulation. The first half is bad. The second half is worse. More details on that later. 
But in this view, the rapture happens pre or before the tribulation, the seven-year view. And so in this view, the rapture, the church is snatched away before the seven-year tribulation, which means the church then will not endure the seven-year tribulation. The church is removed. Now, maybe hearing that, some of you are like, that's my team. I'm pre-trib. I like that. I don't want to go through the, the seven years. But regardless, this, this global event that will absolutely sort of upend everything to have this rapture event take place in real time history, it's, it's going to be a real thing that takes place. You can imagine the chaos that that will ensue. And a pre-tribulationist will sort of lay out the narrative in this way. The rapture will take place, the dead in Christ first, those who are living snatched away. This will create, again, global chaos. In that chaos, and we know politicians never let chaos go unleveraged, there will be an opportunity there to pull together through a charismatic leader on a platform of peace to pull together a one-government system. And in that one-government system there, they will be able to leverage certain power and things that will take place in the end times. And though this person begins on a platform of peace, which we know from Revelation and we'll see later on, it will pivot, and later on this leader will be what is known as the Antichrist. But this Antichrist character will do something rather remarkable. And that is he will figure out, and I can't figure out how it's going to happen, but God knows, is that he will sign a pact with those powers that be in order that will allow the temple, the Jewish temple, to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. The Muslims currently control that space. How that will happen, I do not know. But there will be the temple, the the pact will be signed to rebuild the temple. On the day that pact is signed, the seven-year clock begins for the tribulation, for the return of Jesus. That's the narrative for a pre-trib view. How about the next one? Jump to the end. Post-tribulationism. Post-tribulation is a view that holds that the church, as you see, will go through the seven-year tribulation. They will experience every piece and part of it. At the end of the tribulation, there will be an event that will lay out, uh, such as what I try to demonstrate there through the visual, that the rapture will happen at the end of the seven-year time frame. And so the church, dead in Christ, living first, will be snatched up and then will immediately, near simultaneously, then return and come right back with Jesus. It's sort of an up and then right back down. That would take place at the end of the, of the, of the tribulation view. Uh, there are several religions, uh, for example, uh, Roman Catholics would hold this view and, and some others, this perspective here. Uh, here's another view, a third one, and this is mid-tribulation. Now, hopefully the name sort of makes sense now because it's all placing it in the relationship of the tribulation. And this is a view that says that the church will go through part of the tribulation, namely the first half. This is a view that says in the middle, mid, of the tribulation, that uh, approximately the end of uh, Revelation chapter 11, when the seventh trumpet uh, blares there in that section in Revelation chapter 11, that that is synonymous with the trumpet of the rapture, and so the church will then at the midpoint of the rapture be snatched away. They will be spared from the great tribulation, but they will have to go, the church will have to go through the first half of the tribulation there. And then the return of Jesus, of course, is always at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Now, I put in parentheses there the pre-wrath view. That is a fourth view that some people hold, and that is very similar. It's sort of a mid-tribulation view, but it places it closer to Revelation 6. We made it. Hopefully that was interesting. Hopefully that was enough there to, if nothing else, that you see, okay, so the Bible has different perspectives, or Christians seem to have different perspectives on the Bible that puts it either at the beginning, the middle, or, or the end of the tribulation. So which one is it? open-handed. 
Again, many of you could be pre-trib. Some of you could be post-trib. Some of you mid-trib or pre-wrath. I won't even tell you my view. It doesn't matter. It's important, but not for the unity of the church and who we are. Here's what we hold to, closed fist. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And he knows. Only the Father knows the timing. And so we live ready in light of that. We live ready that he is coming back. And that's what we hold to. And that's what we remember this morning. So what do we do with this? I'm going to close with one last verse. Verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says, so then, or again, as a result, let us not be like, like others. In other words, others in the world who are, who are asleep, meaning, meaning unaware. But let us awake or be alert and sober or sober-minded or in control. See, the encouragement that we have is no matter how it plays out, no matter the timing of when Jesus comes back, and I keep saying this over and over again just to remind us, our call is to live ready. Our call is to be uh, prepared for when he comes back. And just to be honest, just shoot straight a little bit, sometimes the church, and I, I mean like big C church, but it can be true here at New Hope as well if we're not careful. That too many of us, we walk around with one of those, um, like symbolically, with one of those like hotel do not disturb signs just hanging around our neck. And we, we sort of go through and we live how we live. And we do what we do. And we, we, we have church on Sunday and that's good and fine, but it doesn't really splash over and impact every part of our lives. We strive to live our best life and do what we think is most important. And oftentimes our lives look very similar to everybody else in the world. Symbolically, it says, God, inspire me, but don't convict me. And do not disturb. But part of living ready is coming to a place where we, we, we say, God, I need you to disturb. I need you to transform. I need you to work in me. I need you to help me to become more like your son. I don't want to be the same person a year from now that I am today. God, work in my heart. I invite you or I surrender to you our lives. That's what it looks like to live ready. And it means that we remember, we live like he's coming back today. Today could be the day. It could be tomorrow, next week, 20 years from now. I have no idea. But live ready. Live today in light of that day. But love people like he's coming back delayed and for a long time. Love, serve, share. Invest into your kids as if they're going to have their entire lives to walk with him. Everything in your life, live like he's coming back today, but love like he's coming back later. And watch how God works in you and through you to make a difference in the world as we say here, to help people, you and I, all of us together, help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. Would you pray with me? I invite the worship team to come on up. Father, this morning as, as we've looked at your scriptures and we affirm and we thank you that you are coming back as you as you came the first time born in Bethlehem as a, as a baby and, 
and grew to be the Savior that went to the cross in our place, we promise you're coming back. And you're coming for your bride, your church. And so, Father, help us as your bride to prepare and to live ready for that day when, when that trumpet does sound and, and you return and we're with you forever. But, Father, we are here today. We have work to do. We have a community to reach. We live in a county, Dallas County, that is filled with hurting people that are struggling and searching, have, don't have hope, and they need you, Father. So I pray that we as a church would not be both corporately but also individually, symbolically hanging do not disturb signs on our chests. But we would ask you to work in us and through us in a powerful way. Father, we need you. We declare our dependence on you this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Let's all stand up.
week.